With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This is TV Take, Variety's television podcast. I'm Daniel Holloway. Today, we talk with Lake Bell and Dax Shepard, stars of ABC's Bless This Mess, which debuted April 16th. Later, critics Daniel D'Addario and Caroline Framke will discuss Hulu's new comedy, Rami, and Netflix drama, Chambers. Finally, reporter Joe Otterson will give us an update on pilot season casting. Stay tuned. Lake Bell, Dax Shepard, thank you for doing this. Thanks for having us. Thank you so much. So can one of you just describe, or you can take turns describing, bless this mess? <laughs> it's best when the creator's in the room to let that person describe it. Uh, cue me. Uh, I will say this. Um, it is about a mm. married couple, uh, newly married, who live in New York. They live in a shoebox apartment. Uh, you know, they're sick and tired of, of the concrete life, and they move to... The plains of Nebraska because his um, aunt left him a farm, an, an alfalfa farm in the middle of nowhere. But they, they decide to pick up and move and, you know, hilarity ensues, basically. They both have fantasies of what this rural, pastoral existence is going to be. And, of course, it's not anything like what they were imagining. Yeah, it's like, ro- rom- you know, romanticizing what... You know, yeah. picking up from Rio Lake's and... character believes that she will be unplugged from the mm. internet for so it doesn't yeah. occur to her till she arrives that she Putting could. The phones they still down. have internet there. Yeah, and I the guess the phone yeah. still works and they yeah. have internet in Nebraska. Yeah, the, <laughs> everywhere. I will um, say that the the core of it is that you know you're coming into this story and you think you know you're you're very much um, rooting for these guys, you know, um, but. It is really the community that looks at them like they are strange creatures because we are we are, are strange creatures yeah. and new age kind of um, you know ashwagandha drinkers. I do want to mention that we are the butt of all the jokes, yes. not the kind people We've of Nebraska. Got yeah. egg on our face. Having having seen the pilot, yeah, it's <laughs> it is it, uh, the, the butt of ninety percent of the jokes, maybe yeah, percent. I mean. Yeah, in general, I think that their community and, um, you know, the world of the show, you know, it definitely is about inclusion and, like, you know, being, you know, finding common ground with the people that are different than you, you know, that that, that resonates. Like, you and Liz Merriweather developed this, and you guys developed it on the last pilot season cycle, and then I think it got, oh. it got redeveloped, yeah? I'm like, oh, you're just reminding me of that. Um, but yes, no, you're right. Totally. What was the, what was that process like, and what were some of the changes that you made along the way as you were... It really was adjusting. just developed. It, it was just, we made it with 20th, and we developed it for um, for Fox, um, and then... And then now it's at ABC. It's literally, you know, it was one of those things. It was like it wasn't going to go to Fox, and then ABC was like, "We'll take it," you know. And and then, it was originally set in South Dakota, and ABC said, "said No, it has to be Nebraska." <laughs> so we had to reshoot everything. <laughs> yeah. no. It was it it was kind of like a seamless transition once ABC said, "You know, 
it's right for us. It feels like the right home. That's what we did. Where'd the idea come from? The idea was uh, wholly from from just Liz, Liz Merriweather and I sitting on a couch and just like hashing through some of our own marital kind of shenanigans and um, foibles. And, you know, I, I were relatively newly married. Not really. I mean, we were a few years in, but the, we, we had a lot of camaraderie in that. And we wanted to talk about the the relationship of uh, a couple in their first year in marriage and um, and kind of the the sort of pl- parts that you play. And you, the, well, then you and Scott got married really quick, yeah? Yeah. By, we got, by conventional he, measures of time? Yeah. I mean, he, he proposed, <laughs> he proposed like seven or six, I guess seven months in because my mom said no respectable man would, would do it. Uh, we should should propose at six months, and so he's like, "Cool, I'll wait seven months." And then, uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, but he also got his na- my name tattooed on. Ooh, his. that would stress me out. That's, yeah, that would really stress. Nine me Nine days out. in. It, oh, yeah. oh my to god, dating, so. I would be terrified. Yeah. I'm so glad it worked out. Yeah, I know. Me too. <laughs> I love Kristen, but if I saw Dax written on her body, even within the first three years, I think I'd be a little but hesitant. He's covered. You know what I mean? He always it, like, it gets lost. Yeah, in the mix. it gets lost. Yeah, in the yeah, yeah, you yeah. could. I mean, it's and he could also just say it's like he loves lakes right. in general. His plan was that he was just going to add an R and an S to the end and then get really into Kobe. Yeah. Oh, Lakers. <laughs> that also yeah. would work. Yeah. But he could have written Michigan underneath of it. Lake Michigan. Oh, God. Lake totally Erie. Right. Lake, Lake Erie. Lake Superior. Titicaca. You know, yeah. if he was funny like that. He is very funny. But but the point is, yeah, it was that, it was sort of that um, was the sort of inception of the idea. And then it was, I was like, oh, I'll never do TV unless I do it with Liz Merriweather because she just is so dang good at it. And um, and we are really su- super good friends. So it was like she had a deal with, five, you know, twentieth, and I was like, all right, yeah, let's go there, you know. Um, and it was like as long as the quality control is there, and there's like a team of really great, talented people who we feel like we're making something good and we believe in it, then I'm game. So um, the fish out of water element of it came in for just, you know, my own fantasy of wanting to go and live on a farm somewhere. Yeah, I mean, there's a wish fulfillment thing, right? Like, it seems like every person who's in their 30s or 40s and married has turned to their spouse at one point and been like, what if Can what we, if we didn't live here? Like, let's, where would we go? Right. Where are we going to go? I think it's universal, too. I think if you live in the country, as I did growing up, you just want to get your ass to a city. And if you're in a city, you're like, I need to get to the country. It is you true. Know, it so grass is greener. Actors want to be singers. Singers want to be actors. Are you revealing you want to be a singer? No, I, I would love to if I could sing, There's and I'm a, quite bad at it. There's a microphone right now. When I you. sing at home, the girls go, Daddy's a bad singer. <laughs> Mommy's a good singer. Oh, my like, God. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> Kids have good ears. Yeah. They, well, they seem not to be tone deaf like I am. <laughs> I actually, I'm such a bad singer that I can't tell when people are singing poorly or not. So I'll have to ask Kristen. I'll go, boy, that guy sounds really good. Is Is he good? And she'll go, yeah, he's good. He's on pitch or whatever. And I go, oh, good, good, good. But some, sometimes I'm quite wrong. I'm like, oh, this gal's killing it, huh? And she's like, oh, my God, no, she's been flat the whole time. Then she got sharp, you know, and she'll break it down. I don't she's know. Expert, I'm, I'm just a simpleton when it comes to – I'm a Philistine when it comes to my music I listening. I smell a, mu- a musical episode. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, you'll be bringing in Zach for that one, I hope. <laughs> you have him on the back burner. Come on. Dax, what uh, can I do? What do they call it? ASMR. Yeah. Do you can, if, how would that work? With I could give you this microphone and then yeah. you could just kind of. There now it's on your there's mind. The glass of ASMR. There. I'm sipping some bubbly water. Hmm. 
He, you have he really misophonia. Is. I'm so sorry. Although I'm not chewing, I'm just drinking, which I don't think triggers misophonia. What is misophonia? It's a thing, and there's an actual genetic marker. I thought it was horseshit until I saw it on the 23andMe kit. Um, it's people who are completely intolerant to hearing people chew mouth noises. It's what? involuntary. They can't stand it. You do not know anyone that's got it, or it's like if they can almost not eat in a group. It's so disturbing to them. And it's it's real. It's It's in your genetics. I have Whoa. never heard of that. I, I have several that. friends that have misophonia, and then I have accidentally eaten some things while doing my podcast, and boy, did I hear about it from folks with misophonia. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So. This is on the 23andMe kit? Yeah. Yeah. There's so much fun stuff on there. Uh, uh, elite muscle mass, right? So if you have, mm. like, the same muscle composition as the elite athletes, I oh. do not. Okay. All yeah, right. I sure. don't have it. Kristen does, oh. which is promising. Maybe our kids got it. Yeah, maybe they got it. Um, uh, if you're a bad sleeper, they can tell that genetically. Thing. And I felt relief to see, oh, Are it's you not sleeper? my fault. Yes. <gasps> it, Me too. Uh, I, and I'll tell you if you're the type of person that would consume a lot of caffeine. I do. Mm. So it lets you There's off the hook on of, some of the stuff. Yeah. You're like, oh, I guess I'm going to stop beating myself up about this bad sleeping. It's just I was born to sleep poorly. Yeah. You know, just yeah. unleash the guilt of it all. Some people, people are, are born to rock. <laughs> Some people are born to party, you know? Pound that caffeine and stay up all stay night. Stay up all night. Dax, why did uh, why'd you want to do the show? Um, you know, I didn't really know that I wanted to do a show. I just got, like, some scripts trickled in and... I don't even think I had any intention. I was about to work on something else, and then I read this, and I was like, "This is really fantastic. Um, this is definitely worth, you know, pursuing." Um, so well, I'd say that's a, a testament to how good the script was. Because uh, yeah, I don't even know that I was certain I wanted to do that. Okay. You know, these little kids are very time consuming. <laughs> Do you have any? Yeah. I've got a couple, yeah. You do? You do? Yeah. How old? There's six and three. Oh, okay. yeah. Have to be we're, seven. You're yeah. right in the zone. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's, you it's it. a little tiring, it, right? Yeah, it's just you want to be there. You don't want to miss all that stuff. So, well, I mean, and most people, some jerks, they're fine. I, 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 yeah, I'm not okay with it. We both really want to see it all. Yeah, like when I think of dads in the 80s, I think, well, very, <laughs> like they had to hit two or three baseball games, yeah. be there Christmas morning, and they were good to go. Yeah. Like that was a solid dad. Yeah, <laughs> he shows up. And like if you're to not change half the diapers and do half the drop-offs at school nowadays, rightly so and yeah. appropriately, then you're a loser. So I don't want to be a loser. You're a winner. I want to be a good dad. Winner a dad. dad. <laughs> chicken, say it, chicken dinner. Winter chicken dinner. There it is. Um, so you guys are both excellent parents. Um, what is <laughs> I think, it? Yeah, I think that's what Because yeah. in just in general, pe- whatever people say they are, they yeah. are. I, in my experience, <laughs> right. people are really people good self evaluators. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Everyone's got to get even when they're themselves. not liars, they're completely wrong. <laughs> you know. Um, you've also, in addition to being excellent parents who are super self-aware um you've you each have sort of like very wide-ranging careers as actors like you've each done a lot of different kind of stuff mm-hmm. um so to be doing a broadcast comedy at this point in your careers like i mean what's you know just from a career perspective why? like what's the line why would you do that <laughs> to yourselves and you know i mean it's it, it helps that the show looks good but i mean you know it's a risk right because there's a lot of not so great stuff out there i mean do you want to answer to that first yeah well i would say the only thing that's risky about it is that 
it seems at least that the pattern is dramas have left cinema. There's like that whole strata of, you know, 28 to $60 million dramas are gone. They don't exist. But it's very easy to track where they went because they all went to this great television that exists, all these dramas that are huge shows, you know. What's a little scary about comedy is comedy has left the cinema, but it has not found a home on TV. You're not seeing, you know, hugely successful comedy television shows. Kristen's on what is legitimately one of the only really good. But even comedies. look at that show. That show gets a one. Okay. And then thank God they count all the ancillary yeah. uh, viewership streams and they are willing now to accept that. Ultimately, 10 million people will watch that show. But if you're just looking at live plus seven, you're looking at a couple million people. So luckily, the way they're, they're rating it has evolved. Um, of course, I think back to Parenthood, like had they been including all that, you know, ancillary viewership, certainly it would have changed how that show was seen. So luckily that's happening. But, but even in general, with that show, which is a huge exception... You haven't seen this huge migration out of cinema onto television, which is a little disturbing. My own armchair theory of it is on Instagram, you can get a comedy fix. Like you can watch a guy fall off a ladder and you get a laugh. And then you can watch someone crash into a a river and get a laugh or whatever your thing is. You can get laughs all day long in a very short, concise delivery. Uh, But drama, you can't get on there. You need to dial in for hours at a time. So to me, my biggest fear is that it's, it, that, that itch is being scratched by social media. So in that way, I would say it's risky. But in the way that I would say it's completely risk-free is I've been doing this now for 16 years. I've had tons of failures. I've had some successes. I now realize it, it all. the only thing that matters is your enjoyment of making the thing because the outcome is so unknown. There's so much luck in the outcome that no one – The Patriot is the best fucking show on television by far. Have you seen it? Nope. Have you seen it? Nope. Greatest show out there. By far. No one's seen it. It's not getting nominated for everything. It's on Amazon. No one's promoting it. That show is perfect. I promise you, if you watch it, you'd be like, how the fuck is that thing not nominated for everything? That's just life in this business. So you had better like the thing you're doing, ultimately, because there's the the the, the success gods are just totally unpredictable. Uh, a friend of mine at Amazon spent like two weeks texting me, begging me to watch The Patriot. And finally, at one point, I just had to text her back and be like, I'm really sorry. I'm sure the show is great. I'm not actually going to watch it. It is yeah, like tremendous. Yeah. Um, Kurtwood Smith is like watching Breaking Bad. <laughs> we're we're here to promote The, the Patriot. Patriot. Oh, we're here. No, no, here no. to promote all good things. No, it's, it's, <clears throat> uh, it's, a, a, it's a great point. Like, I just never thought about it that way and i guess i do share your feeling about you know for me doing a tv show is is truly it's bonus it i'm not really in it for you know i i really truly believe like i like you said we have our families we have the things that deeply matter to us and like i want to be there when my daughter's tooth falls out for her time you know it's like these are all the things that really matter to me and creating really great content with people that i love that i think are hilarious that makes me laugh all day um you get to exercise a muscle that is genuinely fun and playful um and if that is a success great but it's i feel like 
Dax is utterly right. I mean, we're are the climate of TV and entertainment industry is vastly it's, different. Uh, I just I'm going to stay on the soapbox. It's a joke when you look at the screeners that come to the house for award season versus the amount of television I saw that year that was outstanding, like truly outstanding. All the seasons of Fargo, Handmaids, Peaky Blinders. I mean, I can I can list to you over 140 hours of some of the best content I've ever seen in my whole life. So that would equal 70 movies that would have been right. great last year. I got bad news. There were not 70 great movies last year. I'm not sure there were seven. So any notion of there being some kind of uh, prestige factor over movies and TV, I just think that's a pretty shattered paradigm that's about 10 years old. The Spider-Man movie was pretty good. Yeah, it was great. Yeah, yeah, yeah was that good. was great. Yeah, Vice was fantastic. Like for you, I mean, was it was it different in that you weren't just like putting yourself out for pilot season and talking sure. to your agent and saying like I'm available this pilot season? I mean, you were developing something with Liz, who is you know if you're going to talk about sort of the unicorns of broadcast comedy, I, yeah. like she created one of them. So I mean, that had to give you an added sense of like this was yeah, I felt I felt interested in her for sure, and I felt like. Um, our sensibilities. We met back well, when I did uh, No Strings Attached, um, and that was <laughs> thank you, thank you. Um, no, that 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 was where we like became pals. And I was like, God, you're so funny. You know, like we we were like, let's do something together one day. And and sure enough, that was um, you're right. Look, I, I wasn't seeking out to be on a net, on a network. I just was like, I don't I hadn't even been on network television for many many years. I, um, but I did like the idea of creating something with someone, and she is a collaborator that I've always wanted to work with. So she was like, "I have a deal at twentieth. Do you want to do you want to do that with me? Because that's kind of where we would be." Oops, sorry. That's okay. And um, that's not cool. And so, so for the ASMR people, they're going to like that. They're, gonna, <laughs> they're really going to like the, that. Some people will just be genetically triggered by it. Though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. But yeah, so I, I think you know, I don't know. That's sort of a long-winded answer, but ostensibly, I just, yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't seeking it out. That's why it's kind of, I say that it's bonus because I'm like, gee, this is, this is great. This is like a very ideal situation, and if it does great, then wonderful. I'm going to make more cool. <laughs> of my three favorite comedies, two of them are on network TV or were um, Last Man on Earth mm-hmm. and uh, um, Atlanta. And then Master of None. So only one of those is a non-network show. So it can be done. We're going to do it. We did. Congratulations. <laughs> it's done. What, um, as you guys are talking to the network, I mean, back to what Dax was saying sort of about ratings and the way expectations around broadcast yeah. have changed. Like, I mean, what are, what do you feel like are the, especially for you as a producer, uh, what are, what's the bar that you have to clear to feel comfortable? Or we want to do a six. We want to do a <laughs> solid, six. Yeah. solid six. You, yeah. You're looking. You're looking at. We want to do Roseanne numbers. Yeah, yeah. That's fair. But Anything shy with, of Roseanne numbers with we, the racism or without? I don't think we'll have the racism. Okay, but if we get those numbers, who knows? <laughs> who knows where we go? I don't think. I don't think I have. I mean, I genuinely don't have expectations. I'm not. Um, you know, I'm probably not the person to talk to about it because I do feel like my heart is in it in a way that's deeply creative and I don't really care about the ratings I just don't and I don't mean that in like a 
gruff way. I just, I don't, I'm not well educated enough about the system. Like, Dax, you are far more versed in kind of. I just like numbers. That's it. You Whether do, they're you car also have a wife numbers. who's like on TV. You know, uh-huh. like you, you're like. And I was on there. a show for six yeah, years and I, you our fate that. was uh, sealed to that. But I think what you're saying, which is a motto of mine, which is I'm in the show up and work business, I'm not in the result business i don't that's not my domain <laughs> you know so the, yeah. whatever the ratings are going to be they're going to be i feel like and also just like coming from making very small movies you know and like some people some people see it and love it and other people don't see it at all you know and and for me it's like it's a success if i have made something that i am truly proud of like i i see the pilot i feel like i it is it is I feel my stamp is on there in a way that I am genuinely proud of every single person in it, every single person behind the scenes. You know, it's like it was difficult. I had to collaborate in a way that I was not used to. You know, we're working for a corporate entity. You know, it's like a massively different um, machine. And that was a big learning curve because, you know, on small movies, on little indie movies, you're just kind of like the only person to report to, you know. And then this was like, just slews of people just having to to chime in and that is part of it but i was like okay so once i adjusted it was like oh hey what this is like rustling my feather and then oh okay that's how it works let me massage this to work from creatively so we can get there and make sure we get a good product you know but it almost was like an experiment initially you know with liz and then it just like kind of snowballed and became something real and, and something i genuinely excited about Guys, thank you very much again. Thanks for having us. We'll be right back after a brief message. Hi, Michael Schneider, inviting you to join me each week on the Variety Podcast, My Favorite Episode. It's where stars and producers gather to discuss their favorite TV episodes ever, from classic sitcoms to modern-day dramas, as well as pick a favorite episode from their own series. Our guests aren't just making great TV, they watch it too, and they're big fans just like you. On my favorite episode, some of the biggest names in TV share their creative inspirations and how those episodes influence them. You'll not only learn the secrets behind the most popular shows currently on television, but you'll get to celebrate the greatest TV of all time. New episodes drop every Monday. Find it and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Rami, a new comedy starring Egyptian-American comedian Rami Youssef, premieres April 19th on Hulu. On April 26th, Netflix will debut a new supernatural drama, Chambers. Critics Caroline Framke and Daniel D'Addario talked about the two shows. So this week we're discussing two new streaming series that run the gamut of quality, not to spoil (laughs) our takes, uh, and that kind of represent just how busy a time of year this is because they both are kind of coming out and you may not even have heard of them in the midst of all the other shows debuting and uh, the world of Westeros on Sunday nights. So the first of them is Rami on Hulu. Uh, it's a show about uh, the somewhat taken from life experiences of a comedian, but it is also adds a little something new to the equation. So Caroline, you reviewed this for us. Uh, give me like a little bit of a, an idea of who Rami is and why his story is kind of worth paying attention to. Yeah, sure. So it is based on um, Rami Youssef's life. He's the creator of the show and star, except um, one crucial detail is that his character is not a comedian, 
which I find very refreshing because we have enough of those. (laughs) Um, But it is based on his life, sort of growing up in suburban uh, New Jersey and growing up in a devout Muslim family and something that I found really notable about this series, which I really liked. Um, I reviewed it back when it premiered at South by Southwest. Um, So a few weeks ago, but it's premiering finally, is that Rami as the character is not shying away from his Muslim faith. In fact, he is quite devout and really committed to it. And a lot of the story comes from that and sort of the conflict of living as this sort of millennial guy surrounded by non-Muslim people, but also other Muslims at varying levels of devoutness. And I feel like that's something we haven't seen as much. We've seen a lot of sort of the, you know, snappy guy doesn't really want or feel a need to be connected to his um, to his religion and sort of shies away from his parents' traditions. And this is very much the opposite of that. I feel like we've seen that on stuff like The Big Sick and Master of None. And this provides sort of the mirror reflection of it, if that makes sense. And um, I think it's really, it was really interesting for me. I think it's definitely more in sort of the dramedy vein. It has um, some more serious moments, but Rami himself is very funny. There is a really good episode that I was just thinking about on my way here that I feel like taps into the sort of aughts nostalgia that we're seeing now. And we, we've saw, saw with um, another Hulu comedy, actually, Pen15, which I know we both really liked. This one, uh, they do a flashback episode, and it's actually the morning of 9-11, so a bit of a different vibe. Oh, wow, yeah. <laughs> yes, um, but it... You know, it it follows Rami as a middle schooler and sort of his experience with his friends who then suddenly learn to be suspicious of him and how that shaped the rest of his life. And I felt like that was a really good and necessary viewpoint that we haven't seen as much in pop culture. Um, And they pull it off really well. So I just felt like it was a really smart, uh, just a really smart comedy that I kind of didn't see coming. Yeah, I, I will say I watched a couple episodes, and one thing I liked about it that I don't know if I would have had the words for, but it's coming to mind now, is that in the other things you cited, um, characters' relationships with religion is kind of formed through reaction and opposition. Mm-hmm. Like, my parents are like this, I'm and not. so I, w- I am the opposite, necessarily. And it's not that uh, Rami sees 100% eye-to-eye with his parents. On the other hand, he's there's something a little bit more nuanced going on, which I really appreciated. And I thought I made me want to see more. I, I don't know when in the season, the flashback episode falls, but I definitely want to check that one out. Yeah. And it's also just frankly nice to see a main character who grew up in a Muslim family, like really embrace that. Um, and not just be like a religion. Like, I think it's right. really great to see this. Um, another thing that I really liked about it is that even though it's called Rami, they do a really good job fleshing out the other members of his family, especially his mother and sister, which is something that also those other shows that I mentioned, um, well, Big Sick isn't a show, but uh, they less so had more to say or, or definitely didn't have much to say from the perspective of Muslim women. So I appreciated that the show makes a concerted effort to do that. Um, so I'll be interested to see the conversation around the show. I think it is one to watch, and I look forward to hearing what you all think of it. Uh, on the polar opposite end of the spectrum, which I feel like is a transition I use a lot. <laughs> <laughs> but um, 
We have Chambers on Netflix, a new horror series starring Uma Thurman and Tony Goldwyn in his first post-scandal regular TV role. And I feel like um, I have not seen this because I'm a horror wimp, but I do feel like this kind of speaks to what you were talking about at the top of the segment, Dan, that we are firmly in a super crunchy time for TV where everyone's trying to get their stuff out. If you're not aware, the Emmy deadline for submissions this year is May 31st. And you have to have aired at least half your episodes before then. But if you're a streaming network, you can just drop that whole drop season. Yeah. And we are feeling the pressure of that as TV yes. critics. I'm yes. sure you guys are feeling it as TV fans. Um, and this, to me, just feels like such a neat encapsulation of that. Like, I became aware of this maybe two weeks ago. It's my job to know about this. So tell me about this. What makes it different? Right. Is it worth it? Yeah, I would just briefly add, it's crazy to me that Uma Thurman becoming a series regular on a TV show... This major star who became a figure of huge consequence as part of the Me Too movement. Uh, it's it's just it's just wild that here we are. Uh, this show is debuting pretty shortly, and I haven't heard much about it. Wild. Uh, yeah, other than uh, watching the screeners of it. I would say that this show, to a certain degree, re- reviewing it is like a little bit beyond the point because... I was put in mind in aspects of shows like 13 Reasons Why, which find their audience of teens um, and the fact that adult critics are not fans is just <laughs> is neither here nor there. And so the lead of the show is a young woman named uh, Sivan Alia Rose, and she plays a young woman who has a heart attack and uh, the donor heart. Uh, that she gets um, comes from a recently deceased young woman who lived kind of the exact opposite life of her. Oh, boy. Uh, Yeah. uh, Sivan's character, Sasha, uh, lives in kind of uh, not tough neighborhood, but a little bit more of a real uh, typical American life in a majority minority city in uh, Arizona. Uh, the donor heart comes from a young white woman named Becky, uh, whose parents, played by Goldwyn and Thurman, are kind of somewhat cultish health nuts who who live kind of a new age woo woo lifestyle, and uh, little by little, kind of entice Sasha, uh, who now has their daughter's heart within her, to kind of take more and more of what they have to offer. They pay for her to go to private school. Uh, They let her drive the late Becky's car. And little by little, Sasha comes to find that Becky's spirit may just be taking over. Dun, dun, dun. Exactly. (laughs) And so it's this kind of body horror, society horror kind of a concept where the horror is both the encroachment of these weird people around you, uh, but also within your body. I mean... I'm describing in a way Rosemary's Baby, but Rosemary's Baby is like one of the best executed horror <laughs> movies ever. And this to me, was, the first four episodes were just, it was it was a bit punishing of a sit. There's, the viewer is really in on what's going on way, way, way before Sasha. And it goes from being kind of delicious irony to being, you know, just come on, like, figure it out already. <laughs> Becky's taking you over. Like, there's more to Goldman and Thurman than they're letting on. Um, you know, I think, but as I say, I think it will find an audience. I think it's actually pretty age-appropriate scares for, like, a high school audience. It reminded me of, like, movies my peers and I would go see in high school. So I think 
you know, as a play in that, for that market, I mean, Netflix knows what it's doing. I don't know if adult horror devotees will find that there's enough meat on the bone. But, you know, if not that, then there's always more TV where that came from. May up front's looming. Most of this year's broadcast TV pilots have already been cast. Joe Otterson talked with us about the challenges the broadcasters face trying to lure top talent. Joe, you've got a story in this week's issue of Variety talking about some of the challenges that the broadcasters have faced this pilot season in terms of casting. What did you find as you were speaking to your sources? Um, well, like I say in my story, there are some really great performers in this year's uh, crop of pilots. But the fact of the matter remains, if you are a big star who really wants to make a splash on television these days, you are looking more at uh, cable, you know, premium cable and streaming. And just unfortunately, that's just the way things are now. And when, we, when we're talking about big star, I mean, television has always been a place where stars have been traditionally made. But it's also a place in recent years where the types of talent that would in past years turn their nose up at the idea of TV have uh, have come to embrace it but we're talking we're talking when we say big stars we're talking about like Reese Witherspoon level people right yeah Reese Witherspoon um Chris Evans uh Julia Roberts um Jake Gyllenhaal may be starring in a show at HBO here pretty soon um, you know, Kevin Costner did his first TV show recently uh, with Paramount Network. So, I mean, yeah, just these big name actors. And I mean, like, you know, legitimate like Oscar winners, Oscar contenders, you know, who are now looking to do something a little different um, are now getting into TV. But like I say, when they're getting into TV, they're not doing uh, broadcast shows. They're doing typically, you know, premium cable and streaming shows now. So why is that? Um, I think that the freedom that premium cable and streaming allows is probably is a big appeal to them. I'm also I mean, it's definitely a shorter schedule. You know, the typical broadcast schedule is 22 episodes, which um, one thing I spoke with uh, one TV studio head who told me that one thing they've really been trying to do these past few years is be more flexible with their schedules when they really want a particular star, a big star for their shows. And the star is like very interested in the material. They love the script, whatever, but it's just, they're really not feeling, you know, a 22 episode season. That's a grind. I mean, that's a very grueling schedule um, for anybody, you know? So what they've been trying to do is be more flexible and they'll say, look, we can't, you know, we can't get it down and say like eight episodes, but if we can get somewhere between like 13 and 22, we'll make that deal if we can. There's still some upside to broadcast, though, right? The, if you do those 22-episode seasons, I mean, that's a, that's a lot of show. And if you're getting a good per-episode rate, I mean, that's that can be a good check at the end of the season. Yes, that is indeed a lot of show, yes. Um, no, that, uh, <laughs> several, several agents who I spoke with said they still very much encourage their clients to um, go out for broadcast projects for that very reason. Because, I mean, 22 episodes, if you're getting a per-episode fee, you stand to make a lot more money than, say, if you're working on a streaming show that's only doing like an 8, 10, 13-episode season. How much of a factor also is the pilot process itself? You know, you go in, you shoot the pilot. Um, it's still a crapshoot whether or not that show will actually make it to air. And, you know, streaming services and these premium cable services, they're often willing to make bigger commitments up front in terms of straight to series orders, um, you know, and then uh, sometimes multiple seasons up front. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we saw that um, the first show that Apple picked up for its upcoming streaming service, the Jennifer Aniston, uh, Reese Witherspoon morning show drama, that got a two-season order right out of the gate. So I think you're absolutely right. Yeah, I mean, why would I commit to coming in, you know, doing a pilot, then maybe getting picked up to series, then hopefully, you know, getting a back nine order, and then possibly getting a renewal when I can go to one of these shows, when I go to one of these streaming network streaming services and say, hey, we'll give you a guaranteed commitment for 13 episodes or whatever. When you look at something like the morning show at Apple, uh, Reese Witherspoon and Jennifer Aniston are making, just for their on-camera services, $1.1 million per episode. Um, as, as you and I have both reported on a lot in the past couple of years, the, 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 the fees being paid to on-camera talent just continue to skyrocket. But again, we've seen most of that skyrocketing happening in, in streaming and premium cable. Do you foresee the broadcasters ever getting to the point where they're putting out those uh, those gigantic per episode paychecks the way the the streamers are? I really can't. See, I really can't see that happening. No, um, I think we had the uh, Variety Power of Law event recently, and Michael Gendler had a great point when he was talking about the deal he negotiated for Shonda Rhimes at uh, leaving ABC to go to Netflix. He said, "You know, ABC was unfortunately a victim of their business model. They have this 1970s business model. They have to answer to their advertisers. So, I mean, if you have the opportunity to then go work for a company where you have." that much more freedom and you know, obviously much deeper pockets um, where, you know, certain considerations like standards and practices are not a problem. Why are you not going to do that as an artist and just have that kind of creative freedom right out of the gate rather than having to become, you know, Shonda Rhimes who has to build to that level at ABC to get to where she was before she left. Joe Otterson, if we paid you $1.1 million per story you write, you'd be worth every penny. Oh, that feels good. Uh, well, I mean, if you want to do that, you know, let me know. We'll talk. <laughs> Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with the creative teams behind YouTube's Cobra Kai and Amazon's The Tick. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.